الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبد الله ورسوله ارسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وان كل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد ان اقول اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم فأتي فرعون فقولا إن رسول رب العالمين أن أرسل معنا بني إسرائيل قال ألم نربك فينا وليدا ولبثت فينا من عمرك سنين وفعلت فعلتك التي فعلت وأنت من الكافرين رب شرح صدري ويسر لي أمري وحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله اللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا صالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر أمين رب العالمين um, in today's khutbah, and probably a few subsequent khutbahs before the start of Ramadan, I am going to try and dedicate them to a subject that is, um, it's certainly not easy, uh, but my attention came onto this subject matter in the Quran, um, I would say probably three or four years ago, that I was introduced to this area of inquiry. Um, and it uh, it completely took me in. I was absorbed by how oblivious I was to this dimension of the study of the Qur'an. So what I'm going to do first is uh, take a few minutes to kind of explain where this is coming from. Uh, and uh, then I'm going to talk about how ho hopefully I can address this uh, over the course of the next few khutbahs. So uh, this basically began in my, with my study of, and my revisiting of the story of Musa salam. And those of you that follow my lectures know that I talk quite a bit about Musa salam. Um, but in particular, it was the psychological dimension uh, and the uh, really the, the mental health dimension of a lot of the dialogue that took place between him and Fir'aun. And those dynamics are, they were very unique because I mean, I had studied tafsir on the subject before, but I had never looked at them from a psychological lens. And this is important because obviously Musa salam, was raised by the Pharaoh He's the father figure in his life. So you can argue he's an abusive father figure in his life. He's also someone you can't escape because he lives in the empire. Where is he going to go? If he, you know, if you have someone abusing you, you will report to the authorities. And he's the Pharaoh, he is the authority. So you can't go anywhere. Um, he ha it's a mixed sort of a relationship because on the one hand, he is hateful and enslaving his own people. And on the other, he's providing for him. He's giving him a roof over his head. He's basically paying the bills, if you will, right? He's also sheltering his own mother because his provisions, Allah made it so that the, the means of rizq for Musa salam and for his biological mother and his adopting mother uh, is all being provided by Fir'aun, right? So they're in a sense dependence on Fir'aun too. They've been raised by him. And so whatever transpires, we, we, we look at the events in the lives of prophets and the events that are being talked about in the Quran, we look at them from a faith point of view. There's the side of Iman and there's the side of Kufr, right? And there's the side of Haqq, the truth, and there's the side of Batil, falsehood. And all of that is absolutely true and valid. And when we study these 
stories and these events that are mentioned in the Quran, we look at them to extract from them things that will help our faith, things that we maybe just you know uh, extract as matters of uh, uh, mannerisms or ahkam even or principles of our aqidah of our belief system. But there's another dimension that is very rich to be extracted from this exchange. Allah mentioned this very human exchange, right? Between someone who has feelings towards someone that raised them. And now he has to go and confront them, right? And he has to, he has to basically, when you are going to someone who has sort of an authority over you, your entire life there, you know, cause not every relationship is equal, right? I mean, maybe twins, they're equal. But even siblings, one sibling is older than the other, they have some level of authority or influence and there's a power imbalance in virtually any relationship. Husband and wife, there's a power imbalance that could go either way, right? Rarely is it on equal footing. Parents and children, they're not on a power balance. There is, there is an imbalance. Parents may be in a position of authority and it may happen that later on, they're now disabled and the, you know, the son or the daughter is paying the bills and taking care of everything and they're retired. So there's another power imbalance. So they're in a position of weakness. So practically any relationship you think of between human beings, whether it's familial relationships or it's professional relationships, or it's the relationships that, that happen in the world of education, like teacher and student, there is a little bit of a hierarchy. There is, an in, there is a power structure, if you will, right? And that, that is a, a very difficult thing to navigate if the one that's in the lower position has to confront the one in the higher position. So some one of you that's a younger sibling has a very hard time confronting the older brother about something they did wrong. It's really scary to do that because they will beat you up. And if dad finds out, he'll beat you up even more. I respect your brother because right? you're going up against the authority is difficult. But if you're the older one, you can yell and you can do whatever and you can get away with a lot more because you're in the older position, right? And this, this power structure it plays out in different ways. People use Islam, and I've talked about that before. People use our religion to justify abuse of that power, right? So, uh, you know, a, a parent, and alhamdulillah, we're blessed to have good parents, but some people aren't, unfortunately. Some people are not good parents. Um, I recently received a message from somebody, uh, a student of mine, who spoke to me in confidence. So obviously I won't, you know, expose the entirety of the story, but the gist of the matter was a parent tells them they're a loser and they will amount to nothing in life. And the bad things that happen to them is because they deserve them. And the, the child turned back to the parent and said, why are you talking to me like this? And the parent literally told them, my parents spoke to me like this, so I can speak to you like this. So they got to abuse me, but because I was in a powerless position, but now I'm in this powerful position. So now I get to abuse you, right? So this, you know, the power structures being used as a means of abuse happens in families and in life all the time. And it can be a very traumatic thing because family is a place by definition that is supposed to be like, even for example, when Allah describes marriage, right? When you're when, when a man's gonna marry a woman, he describes the men as they're supposed to be muhsineen with a sad, not with a seen, with a sad. Ihsan, like Islam, Iman and Ihsan is to do your best. But muhsinin from ihsan comes from hisan, which is the, the fort. So you're you're bringing this woman that you're marrying into your fort. So you're protecting her from the outside world. You're protecting her dignity. You're providing for her. And if you think of the ancient forts, they weren't just protection from the enemy on the outside. They were a complete means of privacy. The, the outside world doesn't know 
what's going on inside, and they would have months and years of food supply inside the fort in case of a siege, right? So it's providing for her, protecting her. All of it is coming in one. And of course, it's a matter of prestige to be li living in a fort. So you're honoring her too. So those matters of protection are fundamental to family relationships because we're supposed to be safest with our own family. We're supposed to be safest with those that are closest to us. We're supposed to have our guard down. You, you have your guard up with a stranger. If a stranger says something to you, you could be a little bit guarded. You could, you could, you know, uh, take it with a grain of salt. Well, I don't really know their agenda. But your family member, you don't have any assumptions that they mean harm towards me. You have your guard completely down. You're completely vulnerable before them, and they're vulnerable before you. At least that's how things are supposed to be. But too often, they're not like that. And it's not because you're not a good person or they're not a good... And, you know, Allah gave us these remarkable examples to remind us that even the best people had very difficult family situations. Right? So Musa salam, the most mentioned prophet in the Quran, has an abusive father figure. Right? And the actual biological father figure is unnamed, almost absent from his life. And, you know, not having a father figure in your life is also a traumatic experience. Right? So there are multiple things from a psychological point of view at play that have to be taken into consideration that open the doors for a lot of guidance. Now, the, the reason I wanted to kind of enter into this subject a little bit is because often people experience things in life and they get so hurt by them that they start losing, they, they become depressed, right? They can't, they become emotionally numb. They don't feel motivated. They don't feel like eating. They don't feel like going out with their friends. They don't feel like doing anything. They don't feel like taking care of their health. They don't feel like watching TV. They don't feel like doing, and they also don't feel like praying. They also don't feel like reciting Quran. They also don't feel like listening to something about Islam. They, they feel unmotivated, right? So even if they hear something about the rewards of heaven or the terror of hell, it doesn't do anything to them. And so they start thinking that they're losing their Iman, right? Because you're not feeling anything and you're not feeling motivated to pray. So you must be losing your Iman. And then when they start feeling that way, then they start blaming themselves. They are already depressed because of whatever bad thing happened. And they were becoming emotionally numb because of that. On top of that, there's a new depression that I'm going to hell also because I can't feel any iman inside me. You understand? So it, it spirals into a much worse problem. It started off as an emotional crisis and it turns into a spiritual crisis. It's a, a crisis of iman itself, right? The problem is when you have when the, the root of something, the root problem is emotional. It's psychological. And the, now you're seeking solutions from the spiritual world. But if the root problem, for example, if the root problem was you have high sugar, right? You, you're heading towards diabetes. You have high sugar. Then the solution to that problem, in addition to the Quran you're going to recite and the du'as you're going to make, is not going to get solved if you don't stop eating too much sugar. You understand? Like that biological problem does not only have a spiritual solution. But for some reason we've decided or we've assumed that when we have an emotional crisis, there has to only be a spiritual solution, right? Which dua can I recite that my, I'll start feeling better? I keep getting anxiety. I keep feeling hopeless. Give me something I can recite that'll make me feel better. That's, you're looking for a spiritual solution, but if you don't address that, that spiritual crisis, came into existence as a result of an emotional crisis. 
and you don't address that emotional crisis, then you're not going to be addressing the real problem. And you're putting the remedy on top of a spiritual solution and it's not working and you become hopeless even in the spiritual solution and it becomes a big giant crisis of faith. You understand? So this, this is why when I looked at it from this point of view a couple of years ago, I realized something. Allah, is it, it's very limiting to talk about the Quran in a way that we think only offers spiritual solutions. That remembering Allah is all he talks about. Remembering Allah is a very powerful thing. And it's a multidimensional thing. It's a, it's a huge thing. But it's not the only thing Allah talks about. Allah actually does talk about emotional trauma and crisis. And he does talk about how to navigate that crisis and how to address it. And then on top of that, he offers, you know, these, these very sensitive spiritual solutions, not generic solutions to those kinds of crises. So what I'm going to start with is, you know, and in, in, in my career in, in lecturing and giving talks, I have addressed some of this in a limited time window. Like I, I went on a tour to do story nights, for example. Many of you had attended those. And I talked about some of these things and how they're highlighted in the story of Musa. But of course, that's not an opportunity to dive deep. So what I'm hoping to do in these khutbahs is to kind of take a, a closer look at some things that are going on in these ayat uh, from this point of view. So today's uh, khutbah is going to be dedicated to one dimension of that. And I've taken quite a bit of time to, for this introduction, but I thought it was necessary. Um, and we're going to use, kind of look deeper at the word trauma. Of course, in the medical community, when someone's uh, coming in with trauma, it's kind of like a blunt force trauma. Or it's some kind of an injury. It's a broken bone or a leg or a stab wound or a gunshot wound or something like that. But in the world of psychology or in the dictionary sense, a deeply distressing, I'm, I'm reading the dictionary definition now, a deeply distressing or disturbing experience, emotional shock following a stressful event uh, or a physical injury, which may be associated with physical shock and sometimes leads to long-term neurosis. Neurosis meaning long-term depression, long-term anxiety, long-term negative emotional consequences. That's when you've experienced a trauma, you, you, have it, you had a terrible experience, it keeps coming back to you, you keep thinking about it over and over again. When you see that person who caused it to you, who said those horrible words to you, everything starts playing in your mind all over again. You revisit that te terrible experience, right? So that's that's kind of the idea behind uh, trauma. Now, the, the, the kind of trauma that I wanted to highlight today is the kind of trauma that comes from complicated relationships. And that's why I brought up the example of Musa salam, and that's why I recited those ayat from Surah Al-Shu'ara. So Musa salam, is coming back to his his home where he was basically raised, but he's coming not as the son of the Pharaoh, the beloved son who messed up and ran away from home, which is already pretty complicated, but he's coming home to declare that he's a messenger of Allah. And he's coming home to tell the king who calls himself God that I come behalf of the real God. You aren't it. So he is going to commit the worst crime in the kingdom of Egypt which is to defy the, the ultimate authority, the king, to his face. And to do that in his own court. And the, the where it's coming from is from his own son. You know, declared son. Right? Now, I want you to think of it from the, from the other side. From Fir'aun's point of view. I know that sounds astaghfirullah al-azim, but think, stop for a moment and just think. For in his mind, I had this boy that I raised, that I have given nothing but love to, that I know is not from my race. 
that I know is from the slave race and I should have slaughtered him, but I allowed him not only to live, but to live the life of a prince. I gave him this life. And the next thing I know, I hear he killed someone, one of our own. And not only did he kill someone, he didn't take responsibility for what he did, he ran away. And now he shows up after so long and I'm thinking he's gonna come in and he's gonna apologize for what he did and he's gonna take his place back. Maybe, I'll, maybe he'll think that I'll forgive him because I've given him so much love before. Maybe I will forgive him. Maybe I will because he still had, had a soft corner for him. So he's expecting something from his humbled son. Right? And yet the son came to humble the father. <laughs> you, you see the problem? So he, he comes in and he's going to tell his father figure, uh, you know, and you, by the way, when you come into the king's court, there's supposed to be some decorum. There's supposed to be some show of respect. There's supposed to be, it's an honor to meet you. Thank you for seeing me. I, you know, I know it's difficult. I, I, I grovel at your feet for what I have done. Something, some show of humility and some show of the grandeur of the king. He walks in and Allah has commanded him. So he has no choice in even picking his own words. Musa salam has to choose the words that Allah has given him already. And so he's going to walk in. And as soon as he walks in, Allah commanded both Musa and Harun to say, We are the messengers of the master of all nations and all people. And we come on account on, on the mission that you better let the children of Israel leave. You, the criminal that has enslaved them, you better let them go. So he's going to come in with this, you know, basically coming in swinging, right? He's taking shots as soon as he walks in. From the point of view of the father figure, this is the ultimate disrespect. What? You're going to talk to me like this? This? Are you, are you serious? Did that just come out of your mouth? So from his point of view, this is betrayal. From Fir'aud's point of view, it's betrayal. It's disrespect. It's disregard. And maybe this boy needs to be reminded of all the things I have done for him in his life. Maybe he's having a little bit of amnesia that he forgot who he's talking to. So Fir'aun turns around and says, Alam nurabbika fina walida. He says to him, Fir'aun's first response, didn't we raise you here since you were a small baby? Did we not raise you here? And when he says that to him, what's, what's he doing? He's basically saying, how dare you speak to me this way after everything that I've done for you? Now it's true, he's done a lot for him. And you spent many years of your life living here. But I started by saying that Fir'aun is in fact an abusive figure. He is in fact a torturer. He is, in fact, an incredible narcissist. He is, in fact, all of those things, all of those evil things that his own wife is seeking refuge from him. Not just rescue me from Fir'aun or rescue me from his belief system. No, from what he does. Rescue me from what he does. Some scholars actually translate amalihi, interpret amalihi mean to me that he was physically abusive towards her too. So he is that kind of a person. It's not, a, you know, he's highlighting the good that he's done. But he's purposely not mentioning any of the bad that he's done. And that's human tendency. It's not just Fir'aun tendency, it's human tendency. You look back at some relationship you've had with your parents, with your sibling, with your spouse, whoever. And you think back at they, they did something bad to you, right? 
put yourself in, I know it's scary, but put yourself in Firaun's shoes for a moment. You're going to look back and think of all the good things you did for them. That's what's going to come in your head. All the good things you did for them. How could they talk to you this way when you did all these good things for them? But what's not going to come in my mind is all the bad things that I did. We're, we're programmed to guard ourselves from facing our own dirty laundry. We're programmed to see how they're being abusive. Like, you, you see, we know from a faith point of view, Fir'aun is the abuser, Musa salam is the abused in this case. He's being gaslit. That's what's happening. But from Fir'aun's point of view, he's the victim. From Fir'aun's point of view, my son that I raised is disrespecting me. After everything I did for him. You understand? What this teaches us is a very powerful reality. That when you and I are traumatized, then it's very easy and actually very natural for me to think about all the wrong that was done to me and all the good that I did for them. That's the first equation that comes in my mind. But it's very difficult at the same time for me to even think, okay, let's just say they are in fact 99% abusive. 99%. Did I do anything wrong at all? No, no, no. Whatever I did is because they did X, Y, Z. You see? Whatever I did is because like, you know, when Musa even killed someone, he could say, you know, you create a system of oppression. You have your authorities go and beat up on old slaves. And I go and even try to defend someone. And yes, he died. But that doesn't erase the fact that you created an oppressive system that allowed for something like that to even happen to begin. He doesn't go down that logical rationale. He doesn't. He just says, I made a mistake. I was lost. I admit. He doesn't say, yeah, I was wrong. But let me tell you why. Let me, let me give you the rationale. That's, that's for a later time. So now what I want to, to share with you is not only is this a complex thing where both sides have their own truth, isn't it? Fir'aun has his own truth and Musa has the truth. But when you, are, when you and I are in a situation where there is this kind of emotional abuse and two sides have two very different truths to them, then we have to take a step back from that situation and we have to understand where we are, how we ended up there and take an honest look at them and also, scary enough, an honest look at ourselves and where we are wrong. Uh, inshallah, I, I plan on continuing uh, this discussion based on some of these concepts. I, I, I know a khutbah is a very limited time window opportunity, so I hope to kind of try to do as much justice to this as I can based on some of these ayat and some other places in the Quran. But I want to leave you with the following. Uh, in, a, in an abusive environment, us, you know, the one who's in a position of power, I talked about the power dynamics, the one in a position of power basically creates an environment where they make the lesser person feel, the weaker person feel that they can't live without them. Like, what would you do without me? Who's going to love you if not me? You know, nobody would love you like me, right? Nobody would care for you the way I do. And there will be moments of care. There will be moments of love. There will be moments of beautiful companionship. In any, whether it's spousal or parental or whatever. There will be those moments. And in those moments, you will find so much comfort. Everything you were longing for will be there. And then it will be coupled with horrible abuses. 
Like the same person will become someone else. You can't even recognize them. Horrible, horrible abuses. And in those moments of abuse, you'll want to get away. You, you shouldn't do this to me. You can't do this to me. And when you want to get away, your mind will be, it's like a chain that's going to hook into you of the good memories that's going to pull you back. Like they're right. Nobody would love, and it must be. So the first thing will be the good memories or the good dimensions of that relationship will justify somehow the bad. It'll justify the bad. And the first time you get hit with it, you're like, no, 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 that's not really the person. They can't be like that. That's not really them. They were not being themselves. It was an isolated incident. They didn't mean it, right? That can't be them. So you, it's so shocking to you when the abuse happens that you don't even accept it. You're like, that can't, no, 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 they would never. And then even they come and tell you, no, that wasn't really me, right? That was, that's not really me. I wasn't myself. And you say, yeah, yeah, that wasn't yourself. You're right. That was a virtual alternative to you as a clone. And you, you accept that nonsense for yourself. You tell yourself that too. And once you tell yourself that, then they slip something else in. I know that was really crazy of me, right? And I'm really sorry. But you know you asked for it, right? You know you, you kind of you did something that made me become that way. So what did they slip in? Not, not only are they abusive, and that wasn't really them, but a little bit them but also you ask for it. So you now you start in your mind, even when they're bad to you, there's some, a bug has been planted in your mind. You did something wrong to deserve that behavior. So even when they're being bad towards you, abusive towards you, you're telling yourself, I must have done something to what? Deserve this. That's another, so the good memories are holding you in. And when the bad times happen, then blaming yourself is keeping you there too. I'm so bad to them, of course they're gonna be like this. Because normally they're so loving towards me, they turned into this monster because I made them into a monster. That's why they're acting like this. That's why they're doing that to me. And they're convincing you of this, this picture of blaming yourself. And if you can't even blame yourself anymore, then you train yourself to justify their behavior. So you come up with, you know, they're under a lot of stress. Oh, they're going through so much. That's why they're like that sometimes. That's not really who they are though. I mean, what do you expect? They're just human, right? So you, this is called istighfar, by the way, Fir'aun used it for his people. Yastafizzahum. Istighfar and istifzaz, both of those words. I've talked about it a long time ago. And then, of course, the final is, it's not that bad. I mean, if you compare the good to the bad, the good is so much more. So you just look at the bright side and be grateful, right? To blind yourself to... What is Fir'aun doing? What did, what did Fir'aun do when Musa Islam came back? Didn't I raise you here since you were a baby? Didn't you live many years of your life here? Isn't that the good? So let's highlight the good. Let's gloss over all the bad that doesn't need to be addressed. So what happens with most people? They swing one of two ways. Either they only remember the bad or they only remember the good. And what I'm hoping that we learn from all of this is we have to be, we have to take a step back, control our own emotions, not put those blinders on and let those manipulations go and be able to see the good for the good and the bad for the bad. Because only then you can figure out what to do with your life. Only then you can figure out there's a cycle. Only then you can figure out how, how to be empowered. And that's a lot of what we're gonna learn inshallah from this, this dialogue that has, it's so rich with this level of psychology and this level of guidance that is, it starts with emotional guidance and it's gonna turn into spiritual guidance.
as we see. It, 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 both of them are related. Just like an emotional crisis becomes a faith crisis, a spiritual crisis, the emotional solutions in the Quran are going to become spiritual solutions. They're, they're connected too. They're, they're intertwined as well. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Quran al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikri al-Hakim. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salatu wa salamu ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa khususan ala afdalihim wa khatim al-Nabiyyin Muhammadin al-Amin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا